Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and today I have the pleasure of being joined by two fantastic guests. I have Mr. Brian Iris and Matt Bischoff. Hi guys. Hey, Hi Mike. Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Brian? Yeah, having a good day so far. <laughs> good stuff. Now, I would I have two of you, which makes it a little bit more difficult to enter with a question, but I'm going to try it anyway. So, Brian, I'll start with you. What do you like to be known for? Uh, I guess I would say uh, helping build the mobile apps here at Tumblr and a little bit more, generally speaking, caring a lot about building products uh, from the way that the user sees them all the way down to the code that makes it possible. And Matt, this isn't this is not your first time on the show, so you kind of have an advantage. But uh, <laughs> what do you like to be known for? I think I'm going to stick with what I said last time. I really like to make amazing things. That's a pretty good thing to want to be known for. Um, I, I kind of subscribe to the same kind of idea. So um, I think what might be a great thing is for the two of you to maybe just give a little bit of background for anybody that's not familiar with the stuff that you do on a day-to-day basis um, and kind of, and you both work at Tumblr at the moment, so I don't know if you maybe want to give like a very quick overview of how you got to your positions at Tumblr and what you do there. Uh, Brian, if I can start with you. Sure. I've been working here for a little over two years. Um, I worked uh, doing similar kinds of software development at a financial institution prior and really just had kind of an itch to work on a user-facing product, and Tumblr was a great fit in that regard. Um, I've been doing iOS stuff just about the whole time I've been here, with a few slight exceptions, so it's really been quite a ride over the last two years in terms of taking the app from where it was, which was basically a maintained version of a third-party acquisition from a long time ago into something like what we have today, which is uh, a very modern uh, version that is in line with everything else we're trying to do across the company. Cool. And what about you, Mr. Bischoff? Uh, well, I've been here not nearly as long as Brian, only since uh, last September, uh, so I'm coming up on a year. And I, I met Brian and was really intrigued by how great the Tumblr app was, um, and so I decided to come here. Of course, I also lead a secret double life at night at my own company, uh, Lickability, and Tumblr's been really great about that also. So you're able to continue working on stuff at Lickability, even though you're at Tumblr. Yeah, absolutely. As long as I don't make a blogging engine. <laughs> Try not to do that. <laughs> okay. Might, I think might there be are enough of idea. those. Yeah, yeah, there's just just a few. Um, and I, I want to talk about Lickability a little bit later on. Um, but you were also at the New York Times before this, right? That's right. So let's talk about Tumblr. Um, so everybody is aware that Tumblr is now a part of Yahoo, um, which is a... That happened quite a few months ago, right? Almost exactly a year. Really? Wow, has it been that long? Wow. That, Time flies. That is really surprising. Um, so obviously now Tumblr is no longer its its own entity. It's part of a, a larger company. Um, where does Tumblr sit as part of Yahoo? How baked in to the company is it now? Or do you still operate with a level of independence? I don't think it's that baked in yet. And I think we're still kind of feeling out where the appropriate places to kind of join those seams are. But we've operated almost entirely independently over the last year. And having been here well before the acquisition happened, uh, I can pretty authoritatively say that everything we've been working on over the past year, which I'm sure we'll get to some of that uh, a bit later in the podcast, was set in motion pretty far in advance ahead of the acquisition. Yeah, it's, it's you know, Tumblr has its own CEO, its own leadership team. So to me, I've only been here uh, post-acquisition. It seems like a really separate company that uses Yahoo resources and contributes to Yahoo where it's really seems appropriate. So you'd say that kind of, I mean, I would assume that there are things that happen on a day-to-day basis which have changed. But on the whole, Tumblr has remained its its own thing, its own independent thing. From what I've heard, the biggest change has been that they get uh, we get free uh, lunch and breakfast now. That sounds <laughs> terrible. That's the biggest day to day change. That sounds really bad. I, I I don't know how you guys are living with that. <laughs> There's a lot of infrastructural things. Um, you know, we have teams that are doing really uh, challenging work on the back ends, and a lot of that it makes more sense to tie those kind of functions together. Um, you know, we have teams that fight spam. We have teams that are uh, working on uh, web security. And those are the types of areas where a large company with decades of experience in these realms can really 
uh, kind of bolster efforts. From the product perspective, we're still our own thing, and uh, I think we'll find opportunities to to kind of work together in the future, and you've seen some of that already in the shape of Yahoo hosting some of their own blogs on Tumblr. And likewise, uh, I think Tumblr content is starting to show up uh, scattered throughout some Yahoo properties. Yeah. But it's very much a kind of mix and match approach and not a let's kind of take these two things and, and just smash them together and see what happens. You know, I think a lot of people were expecting um, terrible things to happen to Tumblr. But it doesn't really seem like, from at least from the outside, that anything has changed. I mean, you guys are definitely... Um, you know, it's kind of corroborating that that you got you know Tumblr continues to be its its own thing, and you know it doesn't seem like Yahoo's come in and, and destroyed anything. So, I guess from an outside perspective, it maybe seems like it was a move that was for the best. Well, I mean, we can come on podcasts all day and kind of give our opinion, but I would like to think that the kind of work that we're putting out and the way that the website has evolved over the past year and the way that the mobile apps uh, currently are in the store is kind of indicative of. You know whether or not priorities have changed, or whether or not we've uh, had a change in philosophy. And I would hope that someone who liked using the website and the apps before the acquisition will look at them today and and still like them for the same reasons, and hopefully even like them more. Yeah, I think our community has really, uh, you know, while they were a little bit initially worried about the acquisition, they've really embraced it. Um, there's some some really funny uh, Tumblr blogs that started out being, you know, talking about the acquisition and. Most of, most of the people that I've seen on Tumblr, uh, you know, think it's great. There are more engineers working at Tumblr today than there were uh, when before the acquisition happened, which means that more great features can come out every month or every week. Um, and I think that's great for users. I feel like there wasn't as much backlash at the time. I think people were and are excited about Yahoo um, since Marissa Meyer took over. I think that there's a, a change there. Maybe Yahoo three years ago, Buying Tumblr may have been concerning, but I think the, the position that Yahoo appears to be in now uh, does make it a, a different landscape, especially for how people that are kind of look at this stuff and care about this stuff feel about the, the situation. Yeah. Matt, you tweeted something, I think it might have been yesterday, um, that helped frame a, a question that, that I wanted. And basically you said Twitter is a snack, Tumblr is a meal, and Facebook is a buffet. Um, which kind of helped me to think about where do you currently see Tumblr's place um, in content creation platforms? Like, where does Tumblr sit? What what niches or what services does it provide that others don't? What does it do better than some of the other services? Where in somebody's life, where does Tumblr fit? I think I can speak for myself. In my life, um, Tumblr is a great creative canvas for me. So. I recently started a new Tumblr, for instance. Uh, it's greattalks.tumblr.com. And I just had this simple idea. Like, I, I watch conference talks all the time. I go to conferences. What if I could collect those uh, amazing talks and share them with people? And, you know, I could start a Twitter account. I didn't think it would, it would, people would really care because they'd have to click off. But it, with Tumblr, I could put the videos right there on the page. And so it's this great canvas on one, on one end, that's on the, you know, the user-facing website side. And then it's also a great community uh, on the dashboard where people are liking, reblogging, and reacting to these talks. So you know, Twitter started out as a, as a messaging platform, and it's gone back and forth about, well, is it a messaging platform? Is it status? Is it a news platform? What exactly is it? It's all these things, and the unifying thing is that it's short. Whereas Tumblr is, there's a lot of short-form content, there's a lot of imagery, but there's also huge, long text posts. There's um, beautiful music being put on Tumblr. So it's this kind of infinitely creative canvas, uh, and you get to curate what you're seeing on your dashboard every day and what goes on your blog. Yeah, just to add on to that, I think yeah. um, one of the key differentiators is just flexibility. Um, it's really not a very prescriptive platform. You can really kind of do whatever you want with it. You can use it similar to how some people use other social networks. You could also use it as more of a CMS. You could use it to run a business. If you're a band or a photographer, it can kind of be your portfolio, so to speak. Um, so it's really just kind of whatever you want it to be for whatever need a particular project of yours may have. And um, it doesn't really require that both participants, um, in terms of building an audience, use Tumblr. So to Matt's point, he could put his greattalks.tumblr.com up behind a custom domain and he could send it around and people could go to it the way they go to any other website and 
the fact that it's powered by Tumblr is kind of an implementation detail at that point, which I feel like other social networks don't really do as good of a job of um, kind of allowing that audience to be built without necessarily uh, requiring that they participate in the community aspect of the platform. Yeah, I guess the community features, you can use them or not use them, but it doesn't actually necessarily change the way that you can interact with the content. Like you can just consume it. You don't have to add anything to it. Or you can or you can get involved and you can share and you can create your own sites that you share other people's content and, and create a community around it. That I agree, that is actually an, an interesting part of Tumblr is that the content is is that that you see, like videos and posts and stuff like that. You can take it all in like a regular blog. Or you can be a part of the social network. It's right. kind of up to you how you want and you to can, consume. And you can grow into either aspect of that. You can start out just being um, someone who joins Tumblr to reblog great pictures of things and then realize, oh, maybe I'm an artist and I want to draw reactions to those things and you become a creator. And so you can go back and forth between those those two kind of roles. Uh, and the other thing that, that's interesting to me about it is that Tumblr tries to be like a really good web citizen, and I've always been attracted to that part of it. So, you know, Twitter has played around with getting rid of RSS feeds and, and kind of just trying to force you into this Twitter box, whereas Tumblr, you know, still publishes RSS feeds, tries to make your content look great when you post it to Facebook. Like, it doesn't ignore Facebook and Twitter. These are great, huge networks that we want to be pushing our content out to. It actually embraces uh, other social networks. Which is nice. Yeah. So I want to talk about the new Tumblr app. Um, so basically, this was, uh, I believe, in May. There was an update to the Tumblr app that added some really cool new features, and it sparked an, an idea for a, a discussion that I wanted to have with you guys today. Um, but would you be able to describe kind of the, the, the newest features that were added in the Tumblr app and the thinking that went behind them? Sure. Um, the new features basically allow you to customize your blog in a way that will affect its appearance both in the app as well as uh, on the web and anywhere else that we kind of need a visual representation of your blog, whether that's in search results or um, you know, on some future Apple Watch that might be around. Who knows? <laughs> um, but you know, we've long had this kind of pitch part of the Tumblr pitch is that you can really own your own identity. You can create a blog, you can give it a custom URL, you can hide the Tumblr branding, and kind of just like I was mentioning earlier, you can really treat the fact that it's Tumblr as an implementation detail and have it look exactly the way you want, have it work exactly the way you want, and really have something that you're proud of and really represents you when people come to view it. And we had this great story Except when you looked at a blog in the mobile app and it looked kind of like a cookie-cutter profile and you had an avatar photo in the top left corner, you had a title in the same font. It's always blue, Tumblr blue. Always blue. Um, And it was kind of just not really in line with our mission of kind of empowering users to really put their own stamp on how their blog looks. And this was kind of an attempt to do that in a way that didn't require us to embed a web browser and have things feel really jarring and disjointed as you're navigating around the app. It was an attempt to maintain some semblance of consistency while also allowing uh, creative expression to kind of permeate into our mobile offerings. So with the the features that we, that you have right now, so you're on the desktop, you can create a theme or you can enable a theme or buy a theme and you can make your site look however you want there. And then you also have... On the, the phone now, it's it's a more stripped-down version, but you can go in and change colors and change fonts and a really nice experience. Um, why do? What was the thinking behind keeping the phone customizations on the phone and not updating the look on the desktop as well? Actually, that, that wasn't our original idea. We, we wanted this to be as unified as possible. And so if you use the Tumblr default theme, which is called Optica, those customizations will already today be shared. Oh, I um, did not know that. Yeah, and, and actually then we want to take that even a step further and make those, I, I think they're already available today, make those theme variables available to any theme developer. So if you're a theme developer and you're developing a Tumblr theme, you can say, oh, I'll just take the user's background color, which they've already picked in the mobile app when they signed up, um, and use that in my theme. That way you don't have to set all of these things uh, multiple times. But then, and so then I guess the good thing is if you do choose to have a custom theme this does not overwrite that right yeah right as long as long as the theme developers you know has said okay 
this is going to be separate, I'm going to use my own variables for these, uh, then it won't override it. Do you feel that um, the app the app traffic for like the, the dedicated applications to so the iPhone apps, for example, or the Android app, do you feel that this source of traffic is going to be strong enough for Tumblr that you would look more to create an experience which is dedicated to work well in these devices? Like, Do you see that Tumblr's future, if not already, is app-based rather than web-based? That's a hard question to answer. I mean, Tumblr has always been a website. That's how it started. And obviously, that was a long time ago, and, and the landscape has shifted quite a bit since then. Um, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that I think the future of the company is app-based, but... I think that synergy between our web offerings and our app offerings uh, is important. It's something that uh, we've only recently started really uh, you know, hitting the ground running on, and I think it's something that you're going to see become more prevalent over time. But I think that what's important to us is that we take these kind of fundamental ideals about what Tumblr is and just apply them consistently across as many platforms as possible, whether that's apps, whether that's web, whether that's mobile web. Um, it's just really important that we're kind of giving users the same capabilities in all these places, and we want to give them as many capabilities as possible. I, I agree with Brian, but I want to add on one thing, which is that Tumblr should be everywhere, and it should be as great as possible on, on as many platforms as possible, because that's that's where uh, our users and our creators will want it to be. But from my time at The Times, I, I have seen a huge move in traffic from not only desktop to mobile, but to mobile apps specifically. Um, there, this is a trend in the industry. It's, it's, uh, it's happening everywhere. It's why people are spending so much time and energy on building their mobile engineering teams. And we're doing that here at Tumblr too. So if you're interested, let me know. But uh, <laughs> while I wouldn't say the future of the company is app-based, that seems a little bit too dramatic. It is a very, very big part of our future and a bigger part of our future uh, now than ever. What do you think is driving that? Do you think it is the prevalence of smartphones like being everywhere? Like, Why do you think people want to use apps rather than the web? I mean, is this a personal preference for yourself? Like, Why use the Tumblr app as opposed to Safari? Um, I mean, there's a lot of obvious benefits when it comes to things like push notifications, um, just having more control and flexibility. Uh, performance is something that will forever be debated when it comes to <laughs> web technologies versus native technologies. Uh, I don't really want to touch on that too much, but <laughs> Probably there's, the a, best. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of proprietary aspects of being a, an app built with the iOS SDK that really allow us to create, craft the best mobile experience possible. And yeah, animations is one. We have, we have a huge, huge capability to build uh, custom animations with core animation that you know, you'd spend a long time trying to do in CSS. Yeah, I like the... I can't think about a word, the jiggling in the iPhone <laughs> app. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure you have a more technical term that you use to describe that animation. I think jiggling is pretty appropriate. But jiggling jiggling is a pretty good description but, of anything, I guess. Are you referring to when your blog is in like editing mode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I think we call it wiggling in the code base. There but you jiggling, go, I'll rename it to jiggling today. Don't worry. <laughs> I like that. that. That sort of stuff is why I personally prefer to use apps over site like websites i always prefer to use an app for a service that i use a dedicated app because you say it, it allows for more of like the whimsical magical things that you can do um as well as you know some of the things that are that are around speed and you know offline content and stuff like that um, i'd like to think we're pretty pragmatic developers and we really care about providing a great end user experience we're going to use whatever tools whatever programming languages whatever sdk features make that possible um for the time being that happens to be everything that Apple's been giving us. And, you know, if the past couple of weeks are any indication, uh, there's going to be no shortage of new opportunities to leverage uh, what Apple's been working on to mm-hmm. add some really cool features. But, you know, apps are great. I'd love to see mobile Safari uh, gain some new capabilities. Developers are gonna, always going to go wherever the best experience is. So I think apps are currently providing a better experience. Enhancements to mobile web functionality will... Uh, provide really good competition that'll make everything better so let's talk about identity on the internet um brian i'm gonna start with you what was your personal journey into the internet like when and where in your life did you start to become public online and what sort of communities did you start to interact with um 
what social networks or forums and stuff like that. Like, what was your journey into becoming a person who shares or doesn't share things online? Um, I definitely remember being pretty into MySpace back in the day. It seems like a really long time ago at this point, but I don't know. Something about like it's funny because all the things I'm going to list, being able to change your background color and being able to have music playing, those are kind of things that we tend to shy away from now. When you think of websites you enjoy using, um, with you know, autoplaying music has become a bit taboo, for example. And again, we've kind of taken a knee-jerk reaction to the customizability that something like MySpace gave you and have resulted in kind of the cleaner, sterile, more consistent uh, profile pages that we've become more accustomed to over the past decade or so. Um, I don't know if there was a particular social network or, or time period that I kind of found a voice in terms of being public on the internet. I think it was a pretty gradual transition. Um, but I have become pretty active on Twitter over the years, and I do post a Tumblr you know, with probably a higher frequency than, than most by virtue of my occupation. But I don't use Facebook a ton. I don't know. I don't really use it as much for networking, like the traditional definition of the term social networking. But I do use it a lot for, for news, for just discovering new media related to interests of mine. Um, there's kind of a lot to get out of these social networks when it comes to finding people that have common interests with you and learning from them, sharing with them. And that's why I kind of, we, we talk about Tumblr kind of as being an interest-based social network. It's not about news. It's not about friends, people you know in real life. It's more about just stuff that you like. Um, so without sounding like too much of a corporate chill, I think that's kind of the style of uh, public internet persona that I'm interested in is just communicating with people who are into the same stuff as I am about that same kind of stuff. And, and what about you, Matt? Um, what was your kind of path into these kind of things? And, and where did you start to to find your voice, as it were? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I think um, for me it started, I was talking about this last time I was on the show with podcasting. Um, I, I really got into the podcasting community as it was starting, before it even had the name podcasting, and we were all trying to figure out what to call it. Um, and that, that was the first real community that I was part of online, and it, I was so addicted to that. Uh, and then I kept looking for that every, everywhere else. So, I mean, I joined Twitter within the first month. I think I'm user like 5,000 something. Uh, and have have loved Twitter over the years. I've been kind of disappointed with some of their moves recently. I understand they're a public company. They have to make a lot of money. But uh, it's just it's just not the same service that it used to be anymore. Um, Tumblr, I, very, very, very early on Tumblr. And I kind of... I, I, I was trying to figure out what it was and what to do with it, and so I, I used it for a really hardcore for a long time, and then I backed off of it for a little while when I was um, doing more stuff on Twitter, and, and now I'm back, of course. Um, but generally, I, I think what I look for in online communities is meeting great people, and then what I really love about it is getting to meet those people in real life. So WWDC, the first time I went, was such an incredible experience for me because I, all these people, the, you know, maybe a hundred people that I had met online and known for years, I actually got to meet them in real life. And that, that taking that step from online into real life uh, is also is my new kind of addiction uh, in terms of online community because it's just so great to be in the same space as somebody and, and look them in the eyes and talk to them about this stuff. So would you say, I mean, because where Brian said he doesn't use social networks for networking, do you do that? Uh, yeah, I definitely do that. I definitely, I, I definitely use Twitter um, to set up lunches and coffees and stuff all the time. Uh, so I, I'd say I use it for networking. I, I think I do too, just not in the sense that I go on to these networks looking to make friends <laughs> and to meet people. And that yeah. kind of is a really pleasant side effect mm. of seeking out um, news or opinion on things that I'm really interested in. So I don't think I got on Twitter and thought... I don't have that many friends who are also iOS developers. Let me find a few and just see what they're doing tonight and, you know, no, try and kind of not. foster these kind of relationships. It, it just kind of comes naturally uh, by being inquisitive and by trying to contribute to an intellectual um, kind of dialogue over time. And the relationships that end up coming out of that uh, unintentionally end up being really great. 
So I do end up finding myself having met people through these that I'm extremely grateful for, uh, yourself included. But it's I, I don't really I, I feel like that's a very different approach to it than your kind of traditional Facebook user, for example. Yeah, I think I think it is different. Facebook is for friends you already have, right? In, yeah. in theory. Or, or brands, you know, McDonald's, yeah. and you just want to like their page for some reason. Well, do you not People consider you were maybe once friends with a decade ago? <laughs> do, you, do you not consider brands to be friends, Matthew? I don't. No, I don't. Interesting. It's interesting you feel that way, uh, Brian. You mentioned something a moment ago, um, which I found quite interesting, and you were talking about MySpace and about how the customization of MySpace is something that we don't do anymore. Um, like to that level, we don't go in and and create. Uh, flashing backgrounds and try and embed a music player and and that sort of stuff. Um, And and I think at the time, I mean, I I definitely did all of that. Um, I think at the time that was the way that people expressed their identity. I mean, and you talk about, we talk about now about selfies, but there was a lot going on. Uh, in like 2005 on MySpace. It was like duck face back then. Yes, yeah, that was just where it really came from, right? Just like <laughs> selfies 1.0. Um, I think that the way that people sort of fostered their identity online at that time was by customization and trying to show something about themselves by tinkering with HTML code. And you're right, we, that doesn't really happen as much anymore, from at least from what I can see. I think what people are doing to express their identities now is content itself um and, and i guess that you guys will probably see that at tumblr I, I assume people may be more concerned about what they post to their blog rather than trying to embed a auto playing music track Would that i think be fair co- to say? i think you're right and i think content is the most important thing i think uh we can uh you know recite a lot of the rhetoric around ios 7 um and <laughs> Deference. Deference to content is uh, obviously great in most, if not all, cases. But there is something to be said about the kind of shell around your content and the way that it's presented in that regard. And an example that comes to mind is uh, when you look at a resume, obviously what's important is the credentials and what this person has done and has to offer and how they uh, present themselves. But just as big of a part of who they are is what fonts they used and how they've chosen to structure things. And that helps convey more than just, uh, you know, a monospace 10 point font that every single resume was mandated to be in would be able to get across. So while I ultimately think that if you're going to find an audience on a social network, the way to do it is by creating compelling content. I think the ability for you to frame that content in a way that does a better job of kind of grouping it together thematically is a really powerful thing that can really help differentiate between the work that you're putting out there versus the work that somebody else is. I think all the content creators and, and, and people on the internet that I really look up to, smart people, all, all recognize this also. You know, John Gruber in that uh, great Obsession Times Voice talk talks about owning every single pixel of Daring Fireball. Uh, Sean Blanc, a beautifully crafted website and identity online. These, these types of people realize that it, the content is the most important and, and you need to break your back over the content and really sweat the details of the content. But also the presentation really matters. It's, it's, it's also, you know, Apple's philosophy about this stuff. Yeah, the iPhone is the most important part, but the packaging is also really, really important. I, I agree uh, completely. Um, and, and I guess that's one of the things that you guys are looking to do now, right? You're giving people the ability to... Uh, create content and to curate content in the way that they want to express themselves, but give them some of the tools that they need to create with constraints, something that is pleasing to look at. It's a challenge, but it's a balance that we're trying to strike. So let me, Matthew, let me ask you, and and this is, this is definitely a trick question. Um, All right, but I'm ready. Over the last 10 years, what would you say is maybe one of the key the key devices or tools that have helped you be able to to keep up with doing this stuff? So fostering your identity online, creating the, the type of person that you are. What would you say are the key things that have allowed you to do that? That's a great question. Again, I don't know if it's a trick question so much. I mean... Uh, all the tools, all the tools help. the The biggest one for me has been my iPhone. I mean, in two thousand seven, like that was a pivotal, life changing moment. Not just because this ended up being my career, 
but also um, just because it allows me to stay connected all the time. I mean, Twitter before an iPhone, I used it. I was a Motorola Razor, and I was my you know my texting bill was insane. Like you were getting these all these texts, they were all getting cut off. It's all smushed together. That wasn't an experience. And if you were only going to do it, you know, in your bedroom or on your computer or whatever, if you're only going to use Twitter, then it's it's not really the same. It's not really as powerful. So the smartphone for me is the tool that has that has helped me um, connect with people the most. Definitely. Yeah, that was the trick because that was exactly what <laughs> okay. I wanted you to say. Okay, I mean, and do you think that the the it's ability more of a loaded question than a trick question? Yeah, it's it's definitely more leading. <laughs> Would you say that it's we can definitely now because we can publish from anywhere and we can publish to anywhere, um, no matter where we are in the world. This uh, nature of always being connected. Uh, do you think that that is what is leading to? You know, if you look at the last five, six, seven years, the amount of social networks or places you can put yourself online has grown exponentially. And would you say that maybe these devices that live in our pockets all the time is what has enabled that? I I do think that's a really big part of it. Although I also feel like that's kind of overwhelming. I mean, we're seeing today with with Yo, the new social network that just lets you send the word Yo to people or yesterday with Facebook's thing. This just proliferation of these ephemeral social networks, these things that are probably going to be a fad and then gone. And I, I don't I don't know if that's such a good thing. I don't know if I mean it's great to see people playing around with interface ideas and stuff, but I'd rather personally myself I'd rather work on stuff um, that's a utility that people can really use and that will last over time. I want to build software that lasts, even though I know that eventually all software you know goes away. It's it is by by definition like not that much software has lasted uh, you know decades. But the stuff I, I want to work on, I want to last. And I think Tumblr it was an opportunity for me that I looked at and said, yes, I think Tumblr will be around in 10 years, and I think it will be even better than it is today. I assume that one of the things that you guys maybe get to see through working at somewhere like Tumblr is changing trends. So the way that people communicate with each other, the type of things that people are sharing and the way that they're interacting, I would assume you maybe get a, a look at that Um does a site with a user base as large as Tumblr, do you get to see these changes in tastes as they're occurring or do you get to see them as, you know, as they're coming up or, or do you track them even? I think it's hard to say. Uh, the content is just so varied and the communities just use the product so differently. I mean, there's there've always been photographers uh, on the platform as, you know, one of the probably more photo-centric uh, blogging and or social networking options out there. But now there's lots of people that are posting photos that they took with their phone. I, I guess they're not quote-unquote photographers in the traditional sense, but there's certainly a lot more of that, and that's great. I mean, it's an influx of, of new ways to look at things that wasn't there previously. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that use Tumblr for almost like role-playing type yeah. games. And you know, we'll change a small way that something works in the website and we'll have communities uh, immediately yelling that we broke the way that they used it in some non-traditional sense. Oh, yeah. So it's not that there there aren't trends changing over time. It's just that I think it's a little bit hard for me personally to put my finger on them because they're so varied and so all over the place in terms of subject matter, in terms of the way they use um, our product that... It's tough to really wrap your head around everything that's going on. I, I think our content and community team probably does a better job of that than us. I mean, they, from what I've heard, they have you know dozens and dozens of different Tumblr accounts that they're logging into all the time that are plugged into all these communities and just watching that stuff. Um, we, we have an app to build, so we, we can't be doing that all day. Uh, but they do an amazing job of keeping up with what's trending and making sure that our users are aware of really cool blogs uh, that come out. Also... Um, to, to Brian's point, like people use the system in ways that we don't intend, and every time we add something, like when Photosets was added, I wasn't here then, but when Photosets was added, you know that that created a whole new type of type of art form that you could that you could make. Um, you could have gifs in each of these ten slots, and you could rearrange them in different ways. And people figured out how to make three D gifs, which if you haven't seen those, they're really cool. And all these different things that came from uh, that one innovation at Tumblr. So. What we try to do in the apps also is figure out, like, how can we expose more surface area, more creative tools, and then figure out what people can do with them. One trend that I've definitely noticed over time, which I'm a huge fan of, is the proliferation of these really, really focused kind of single-serving blog ideas. Um, I know when Matt was on the podcast last year, you guys talked about iOS 7, and there was a Tumblr called Sloppy iOS 7 Design or something along those lines. 
Similarly, we have uh, the new Swift programming language, which Apple just debuted a couple weeks ago, and there are a few Tumblrs dedicated to just um, critiquing Swift, uh, commenting on various aspects of the process of learning Swift from an Objective-C developer's perspective. Tips and tricks. Um, there's just so and, and and then there's uh, much less serious uh, examples like One Tiny Hand, which is a blog whose sole purpose is to take photos and make one hand in the photo really small. Um, so you get all of these really focused particular <laughs> things that span everything from comedy to uh, you know intellectual discourse. What was that Lego one you were talking about earlier too? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's like Lego hyphen movies. We'll put it in the show notes. But there's a Tumblr which just came out recently, or at least came to my attention recently, where it's just somebody reenacting classic scenes from movies and TV shows using Lego pieces. And it's just such a simple concept. It's something you could describe to somebody in a sentence. Um, it's not this highfalutin um, blog that's going to change the world, change, come up with this uh, a- anything too profound. But it's just so interesting, and it's so easy to digest in a stream amongst other content of a similar nature. So if I had to pick a trend that seems to be growing in popularity, I would say it's this. These very high-concept, single-purpose blogs. Humans of New York is, a, is another great example. A little bit bigger in scope, just you know, photographing beautiful photographs of people in New York with uh, one or two sentences with that person, like an interview-type style below it. Uh, and they're always, they're always great. Our goal is to just make the barrier to entry low. If you have an idea for one of these things, you should just be able to make it. You should be able to make it look the way you want. You should be able to easily fill it with the content that fits your theme. And there should be as little friction as possible uh, if we've done our job right in terms of allowing you to do that. Yeah, if you wanted to do that on Twitter, you'd have to sign out of your account, create a new account, manage it. Then you're going to start getting email notifications from Twitter on that other thing. This happens to me. This is a problem that I have. And that's just not how it works on Tumblr. You can have as many blogs in your account as you want, up to, I'm sure, some reasonable limit. But you don't have to – there's no barrier to that creation. You hit one button, and you've got a new blog. You can just try out things. And there's nothing tying that back to your other one either. So I'm sure a lot of people have Secret maybe blogs. a blog or two that, that – yeah. maybe there's not necessarily anything uh, bad on it, but they just don't want people to know who runs it, or they just don't want <laughs> – well, <laughs> yeah, no, I get number, it. For any number of reasons, maybe they yeah. want to let the work speak for itself. It's a teenager um, trying out different identities. You know, it, it could be anything. Um, uh, you know, you, you know, guys I, mentioned I run the Coco blog with, yeah. where we post about stuff that we work on here, and um, you know, it's probably not a huge secret that it's the iOS developers at Tumblr that generally post to that. But you know, it has its own branding, it has its own uh, color scheme that doesn't in any way make you think if you came upon it that it was primarily operated by, you know, Matt, myself, and other developers here. It has its own branding. It's its own work that should stand on its own. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's, you know, a secondary blog on my main account is unknown to the user. You guys, you know, you mentioned a bunch of things, like some of the cool things that you bring up, and they're kind of like art, you know. They are very much like art, just expression that people have now. And I think that's an interesting thing that I don't, I don't remember from when... I was starting out at posting things online and being involved in things online where people create websites, you know, Tumblr sites, etc., just to express an art form of some kind, like a performance art. It was just so much work. It would just be so much work to not only create a website that had a you know unique look and feel and allowed you to easily uh, add this content to it, but then figuring out a way to get people to look at it. Paying the hosting bill every month. I mean, there's so much stuff that you have to do before that you don't have to do with with a, a system like Tumblr. Now, I, I wanted to to talk about private messaging and things like that. There definitely seems to be a rise recently, or everybody seems to be getting into private messaging of some kind, whether that be one-to-one text messaging or sending pictures to each other and things like that and, and it be in a private bubble everything ephemeral it all disappears um, do you think that there is going to be a further rise of this type of messaging or do you think it's just a hot space that people are trying to conquer right now uh, probably both um, it probably will continue to go up until people lose interest in it but it doesn't seem like it fits in with our vision of, of uh, content at Tumblr. I mean, the way that we've approached messaging is it's, it's not just a free-for-all messaging system. You're actually sending someone fan mail. 
And there's a really good reason why it's called fan mail. It's because we don't want you to say anything mean. So if, you, if you're clicking a button that says send fan mail, you're probably not going to be a jerk. Um, you're already admitting that you're a fan of this person just in the implicit action of using the interface. Um, the, the private messaging stuff is interesting. I've played with all of them, Snapchat, uh, the Slingshot thing. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a pack rat, a digital pack rat. And I, I'm not, when, when iOS 8 comes out and you can automatically delete your messages, I'm not going to turn that on. I, I have all my messages back to 2007. Like I've never, I've never lost a message unless I deleted it for some, you know, and contained some sensitive information or something. So I'm, uh, I'm not a, a big ephemeral messaging person. I don't really get it. Maybe I'm too, I don't know, I'm too interested in keeping things forever. I think it's a little bit of a course correction. I mean, we constantly go through these fluctuations, both in this industry and other industries. You know, we go from skeuomorphic UI design to um, a, a more stark and, and minimalistic style. Um, in the same way, we went from not really having that much information about ourselves on the internet um, to things like Facebook and Google uh, rising to prominence and having lots of information out on the internet. I feel like this is just kind of a natural next step in that where we're starting to rein things in a bit and be a little more cognizant of kind of how we portray ourselves. Um, I think it probably gets a little more hype and publicity in this exact moment. I don't know if that's related to NSA leaks or mm. politicians uh, sending tweets when they meant to send direct messages, but it definitely seems a bit trendy now, but I don't think that it's that trendy. I think it's really just people kind of coming to terms with the uh, longevity that stuff can, can you know, float around on the internet for and being a little more aware of what they are putting out in which context. So I want to talk about um, iOS 8 very briefly with you because you, you, you've kind of uh, mentioned it a couple of times, Matt. We could um, probably go for a few hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll we so we I, haven't even had a chance to talk to each other about it that much yet. We could go forever. <laughs> so I'm going to try and keep this uh, pointed as much as possible. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, how do you see iOS 8 changing the things you work on? But maybe that's too big <laughs> a question. That's a one-hour meeting yesterday. I mean, yeah, that's... I bet. Um, give me one thing each that really excited you from WWDC doesn't need to be a developer related thing can be if you want um, Brian I'll start with you give me one thing that Apple announced uh, at WWDC that you are excited about um, I'm going to take the I'm going to hit the softball and say extensions it's just it's interesting because I don't yet know how interesting it will be there's a lot of features that come out and you just immediately are able to wrap your head around the implications and the interactive notifications, I think, are a good example of that. I don't really anticipate being too shocked or bowled over with what people do with interactive notifications. I think they're an extremely welcome addition to the platform and I'm really excited to be able to reply to a text message without context shifting. But it's kind of seems finite in scope and maybe I'll be proved wrong about that over time. But extensions, I really feel like we're going to see some interesting applications that just simply weren't possible before and that are really going to change the way that we're productive um, on a daily basis, just constantly. I think um, we're going to spend a lot more time uh, accessing data in a more efficient manner, and it's going to really just kind of take everything that we've known over the past uh, seven years in terms of grids of apps that you use one at a time and turn it on its head. And I'm just thrilled to see what kind of new workflows and usage patterns are going to come from both share extensions, uh, widgets in the today view of notification center. Um, there's just a lot that's going to be possible now. And I think that users specifically who aren't thinking about this stuff as much as we are, are going to be blown away come the fall when all of a sudden their phone that they already think is pretty darn useful and impressive just becomes that much more so. What about you, Matt? I'm going to take the even softer softball on this one uh, and say Swift. Um, this one's going to be a bit more of a slow burn. It's going to take a while before we really see the improvements. And many of the improvements are we're going to see as developers and not necessarily as users, but I can be a little bit selfish. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, 
before WWDC, I was crossing my fingers for Objective-C 3.0. I was hoping for a new major version of the programming language. And to just invent an entirely new one, you know, secretly for four years and then release it as one big thing is just something that is it's so Apple uh, and so incredible. So I'm, you know, pretty much finished with the book. I'm trying to learn as much as possible. I wouldn't recommend anyone dive into writing it in their production apps yet. It's because it's an unfinished compiler and unfinished language. But I'm really, really excited about what it's going to let us do and how much we can simplify with it. Um, and it's 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 almost better than just you know doing Objective C 3.0 because they didn't it it doesn't you don't have to write Swift objectively. You can write it in a more functional style. They took the best of so many languages and tried to and, and are still trying to put them together into something uh, that will last for the next 20, 30 years at least. Um, I, I really love what Chris Latner said about it. I think it was on a mailing list or, or in the dev forums. He said, you, you know, someone criticized it for not being like Objective-C. They were basically responding how people respond when Facebook changes the newsfeed, like neophobia, essentially. And he said, we weren't trying to make it like Objective-C. We weren't trying to make it, you know, the same. We were trying to make it good. And, and we also weren't trying to make it original. So people who were criticizing it for you know, taking stuff from other languages. Like, originality was not the goal. The goal was to be a great programming language, and I think they're well on their way to that. And as a third party, um, how are you? How do you feel about Apple now post-WWC? There is a lot of talk of a change in Apple that people perceive now that they seem to be more welcoming of, of third-party developers than they maybe have been in the past or at least in, in recent times. Um, do you feel happy about that, confident about that? Do you have an opinion on it? I yeah. Th- Go ahead, Brian. Oh, sorry. I think we feel really good about it. And, you know, Apple, they're, they're not a surprising company in the way that they make improvements to their platforms. Um, multitasking has changed a lot over the years, and it just happened in a very well-thought-out and well-paced way in terms of starting with none, adding a little bit for the things that are going to cover the 80% use cases, opening it up as um, enhancements are made to both the hardware and the software that make it possible to give users power while also maintaining battery life and, and other energy consumption uh, related metrics. Um, similarly, developers, you know, just like we had been asking for multitasking, we've been asking for kind of extensibility. And I don't think we were too specific in our desires other than ways to kind of hook into the platform that were that went beyond the single app in the grid of icons on the home screen. And this is something that, again, you can read the tea leaves over the years and see that there are baby steps being made towards, um, towards this end goal. And it's just a matter of, is it something that Apple's, you know, a week away from doing? Is it something that they're two years away from doing? And is it something that they've just been experimenting with for their own benefits or for preferred partners, or is it something they're ever going to really make open? Um, and I think we're all really happy now and not that surprised since we saw it was coming, but it's less about the function itself and more about the tone in that they really seemed thrilled to see what we would do about it. The same or do with it rather the same way that I am super excited to see what novel ways developers utilize the new extension APIs, I think Apple seems really thrilled about that too. I don't think they view it as checking a box that they have to check in order to placate their developers. I think they see it as a huge opportunity and uh, getting that perception is really uh, inspiring as a developer and makes me feel great about um, the way that they're going to continue to uh, enhance the OS in conjunction with their third-party developers over time. There's also been a big cultural change uh, from being at WWC. You know, director level level people at Apple were out at the parties, hanging out. Uh, you know, the lack of uh, such a stringent NDA. You, anybody can right now go watch the super technical WWC sessions. That's incredible. That's a huge, huge change that nobody was expecting. I, I don't think, at least. And uh, and that's I'm also really excited about that because the more Apple opens up and is serious about taking developer feedback and responding um, to the stuff that, that we want, uh, I think the, the faster the platform will get better. Now, Matthew, tell me something that you are working on right now, doesn't have to be with Tumblr, that you're excited about, that you want to tell people about. All right, well, I would tell you what I'm working on at Tumblr, but then I'd have to kill you. So yeah. 
Uh, I'll tell you about something else I'm working on that I'm sure people are, are pretty excited about. It's the third release of Quotebook, uh, Quotebook 3. We're not calling it 3.0 because what's the point zero mean? It's, it's, meaning, it's meaningless. Uh, it's iPhone 5.0. It's silly. So we're calling it Quotebook 3, which is no, uh, no suffix. And it is a complete rewrite. We re- we've rewritten every screen, redesigned every screen. It's in beta. It's so close to done. Uh, if I get any more emails about it, that'll only slow it down. Um, but but I'm, I'm really excited about that. So every night I go home, I work from, you know, 7 to 10 or later on that and then work on it on the weekend. So I'm, I'm apologizing here to my girlfriend, Rachel, because she's been putting up with that for uh, a couple of months. Um, I, re- I really want to get that out. That's what I'm most excited about right now. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> she's for, the best. For allowing this to occur. And Brian, what about you? Um, oh, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, I think I'm still in the process of digesting everything that we saw over the past two weeks. Um, it's a really interesting uh, place to be in where you're kind of forward thinking, uh, like Matt mentioned with Swift, where um, this is going to change the way we write software on a very fundamental level. And as much as you don't want to uh, dive in too soon and uh, you know, destabilize things that you're working on in the short term. Um, it's also something that uh, is going to be our primary tool for crafting uh, the products we'd love to build um, over the next few decades. And I think it's important to um, start wrapping your head around concepts. And uh, that goes not only for Swift, but also for the extension frameworks, um, for a lot of the other stuff that's been added, both to OS X and iOS. Um, it's a really interesting uh, in-between period right now where we get to uh, re-educate ourselves about how to build the best products possible on Apple's platforms um, and think about how to apply them. And then uh, it's kind of the calm before the storm leading up towards um, really kind of putting the wheels in motion in terms of applying a lot of these new technologies before iOS 8 comes out. And Brian, where uh, please tell people, where can they find you? Where can they see what you're up to and keep in touch with you? Sure. Um, I'm just iRace on Twitter, my last name, and you can look at things that I find entertaining uh, on my Tumblr blog, which is brian.io. And Mr. Bischoff. Yes, uh, I am MB on both Twitter and Tumblr now, and uh, you can find my personal website, which has links to everything, with uh, my full name, matthewbischoff.com. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes because it's hard to spell. Yep, it's in there. It's in there so fast. And if you want to find those show notes, you can go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 101. 101. Thank you so much, guys, for being here today. It's, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for speaking so openly about um, the things that you're working on and, and sort of yourselves as well. Um, I think it's made for an interesting discussion. I had a blast. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah, Thank it's you. our pleasure. Um, thanks so much for having us on. Thank you. And and if you would uh, like to tune in next week, please do. Um, and thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>